Hey, it's Rochelle, and you're listening to Clumsy Theosis, a production of Catholic Answers. Welcome to the place to transform the world by transforming yourself. Hey guys, it's May, and May is traditionally the month of Mary. You guys know that, right? And with all this extra attention on Mary comes some questions about what Catholics have to believe about Mary. Like what what things do they have to believe? What things can they just kind of put on a shelf and like not integrate into part into their faith? And this made me think and I realized that in general a large number of Catholics don't know what things in the faith they're required to believe and to make part of their life and their faith and what things they can, you know, do without. And that's because a number of Catholics don't know the difference between dogma, doctrine, and discipline. And if that's you, don't sweat it because we're going to go over all of these and we're also going to go over why each of them are important to know and how they impact the faith that you live every day. In the teaching of the Catholic faith, there is an order or a hierarchy of truth. And at the top of that hierarchy are dogmas. These are the heavy hitters. A dogma is a truth that God has revealed to us. They're considered to be divinely revealed. And some examples are the Trinity as well as the nature of Jesus. The Trinity we know is that God is one God but three persons. And the nature of Jesus, we know that Jesus is fully human, and he's also fully divine. So these are some examples of dogmas. And dogmas are part of what we would refer to as the deposit of faith. And the deposit of faith comes from both scripture as well as tradition. And if you remember um, some episodes back, we did the topic of scripture and tradition, and we kind of pulled this apart a little bit more. But for today, we're just going to sum it up and say that with tradition, you can get both written tradition as well as oral tradition. And oral tradition is going to be those traditions that are passed down orally since the time of the apostles. So God has deposited the truths of the faith in these two places during the period of public revelation. Public revelation ended with the death of the last apostle, John the Evangelist, Jesus God incarnate was revealing the faith to the public, hence public revelation. And who was he entrusting his teachings to? To the apostles. So when the last apostle died, that era of public revelation has ended. But we have oral tradition, which has passed that down, as well as scripture, which has um, documented some of what Christ taught the apostles. So our dogmas, important things to get right based off of this. I'm sure most people would say definitely they're important to get right because if you get these wrong, you know, the majority of the dogmas have to do with God, his nature, Christ, his nature, you know, those big heavy hitter topics. If you get those wrong, then most likely you're not going to be practicing Christianity. So how do dogmas typically come about? So of course we know they come from scripture and tradition, they come from the deposit of faith, but how do we end up with a dogmatic definition of something? Okay, that's going to happen in one of two ways. So the first way is 
by way of an ecumenical council, ecumenical meaning universal. So a definition is put forward at a universal council with all of the bishops of the world as well as the pope, right? So it has to be confirmed by the pope. It all comes back to the vicar of Christ. So now the second way that you can get a dogmatic definition of something is when the Pope makes an ex-cathedra pronouncement. An ex-cathedra literally translates to from the chair, and that's referring to the chair of St. Peter, from which the Pope is exercising his authority as the successor of St. Peter, who's the head of the church, right? So the Pope now has all of the charisms that Peter had, and so he has his authority. So when the Pope does this, when he makes a pronouncement ex cathedra, he's exercising his papal infallibility. For me, before returning to the faith, I would have heard these two ways in which a dogma of the faith are defined, and it would have bothered me. And maybe that's because I'm a millennial and one of the stereotypical markers of our generation is our aversion to labels. You know, we don't want to put people in a box. We don't want to define everything all the time, um, stereotypically anyways. Perhaps that's it. But dogmas are not <laughs> created for the purpose of putting everything into a box and, and just trying to make things more complicated. Um, in fact, quite the opposite. So later on when I was coming back to the faith, I was looking into all of those things in Catholicism that I kind of had a little bit of beef with, and they were things like this, issues concerning the governing role of the magisterium, right? So the church and how she was able to govern the faithful, um, papal primacy and the infallibility of the Pope. Those things were high on my list of things that I needed answers to. And so I turned to history, you know, and to church history. And when I did that, I found out that all of these things, these definitions, where they originated from. And when it came to dogmas, yes, of course, we know they come from the deposit of faith, but I wanted to know when did the whole naming and defining business begin? When did it begin and why? Anyways, my point is this. I found out that all the dogmas at the beginning of Christianity were defined because there was always someone running around preaching the faith incorrectly, just confusing people and blaspheming God in the process. And so the bishops had to gather together to iron out the problems and make definitive proclamations with the Pope, of course, about the issue in order to ensure that that false teaching wouldn't spring up again and that the faithful would have the right teaching. And why is it important for the faithful to have the right teaching? In the Catechism, we read that there is an organic connection between our spiritual life and the dogmas. Dogmas are lights along the path of faith. They illuminate it and make it secure. Conversely, if our life is upright, our intellect and our heart will be open to welcome that light shed by the dogmas of the faith. Now, if that is not incentive for someone to follow the dogmas of the church and to adhere to them and make them their own, to really believe them, make them part of their faith, I don't know what is because it's just going to illuminate you and help you in your goal of life, which if you're listening to Clumsy Theosis, I'm presuming that your goal in life is to become a saint and to live out a life of theosis. So moving on to doctrines. Doctrines are teachings of the church. Doctrines are 
theologically certain, their truth is guaranteed, they're professed by the magisterium, you know, the authoritative body of the church. And because they are true, doctrines bind the conscience of the faithful, meaning that we have to show them religious assent. And how is this any different from a dogma? Well, dogmas are still teachings of the faith, so that does make them doctrines. But not all doctrines are considered dogmas because not all doctrines have been solemnly defined by an ecumenical council with the Pope as its head or by the Pope exercising papal infallibility. They haven't been defined as being revealed by God. So does this mean that these doctrines are less important or that they they don't require the same assent. No, doctrines of the faith do require our assent as well. And I know some people hear the word assent and they tense up and they may feel defensive. If this is you, I feel you, I used to be the same way, but just think about this. The church has been around for over 2000 years. She was instituted by Jesus to help us become saints and experience a life with Jesus now and after our death. And to make sure that she is able to do that, that the church is able to fulfill that, Jesus has sent the Holy Spirit. Remember Pentecost, right? Jesus has sent the Holy Spirit to ensure that the church is the, the one and only safeguard of the truth. No other faith or belief system has that. And this is a momentous gift. When we're living and assenting to the truth that God has entrusted to the church, it helps us to keep walking in the Lord's grace and growing in holiness. And really, our ascent is a demonstration of our trust in God's providence and protection. And I say all of this because most of the moral teachings of the faith fall within this category of doctrine. And we'd all like to think that we have a great moral compass and our decisions come from a good place and we're good people and therefore all that we believe is good, moral, right, and just. But it just doesn't work that way. Holiness requires us to follow Christ and his teachings, which have been divinely revealed by God, those are our dogmas, as well as those doctrines which stem from the deposit of faith in one way or another, and these include our moral doctrines. And today, some of those moral doctrines that people are having issue with are marriage, contraception, sanctity of human life, and so on. And I bring those up just because it's on my heart that I feel like I need to say it, and if that's you, take some time and do some research and pray about it because you're going to find that the church is right in safeguarding these truths and your life will be happier, better, holier, and more peaceful when you live according to these teachings. So that said, let me move on to disciplines. Disciplines are applications of a doctrine. They are the way that we adhere to the doctrines in our lives. And disciplines are able to change by the magisterium. Um, they're able to decide how better they can affect the faithful by maybe adjusting the disciplines, right, to serve us better. An example of this is fasting before our reception of the body and blood of Jesus. Through the doctrines of our faith, we know that we need to prepare ourselves to receive the Eucharist, both spiritually and physically, by fasting. 
But in modern times, it was noticed that less and less people were coming forward to receive the Eucharist during the Mass. And a big reason for this was because the faithful hadn't kept the fasting period. They knew the fasting period, they adhered to the fasting period, but for whatever reason, they weren't able to keep it. And so they knew since they didn't fast, they wouldn't come forward to receive the to receive the precious body and blood of our Lord. So the fast period was shortened to one hour, and this was to encourage the faithful to come forward to partake in the marriage banquet of the Lamb. Now, the teaching did not change. Fasting is a requirement, but the church, in her wisdom, adjusted the disciplinary practice by changing the amount of time. Now, if today's topic piqued your interest and got you wondering, yeah, what are the doctrines of the faith? I recommend that you start with the catechism. Uh, If you don't have one, it's online for free. Just type in Catechism of the Catholic Church in your internet browser, and the Vatican site will most likely be your first option. The beginning of the um, catechism, the first um, part is referred to, or it's titled, The Profession of Faith. And chapter two of that first part is God coming to meet man. And it's really cool. It's it's um, a little bit more about what we talked about today, about God's um, revelation, about scripture, about tradition, about um, his interaction with the apostles and their role in our lives and in the church. It's really beautiful and enlightening. And if you have any further questions, I think a lot of your answers can be found here. Um, or if you have any difficulty um, with the assenting aspect, I think when you read this, it makes you realize how much of a gift this is to us in our faith. All right, so remember that united with Christ, the church is sanctified by him. And it is in the church that the fullness of the means of salvation have been deposited by God. And it is in the church that by the grace of God, we are able to acquire holiness. And a very easy way to do this is to be familiar with our dogmas, our doctrines, and our disciplines, and not necessarily just follow them and and follow the rules, but to really see how they are going to enlighten and illuminate our spiritual lives. Um, So yeah, pick up your catechism this week. If you haven't in a while, maybe make it part of your daily or weekly um, spiritual exercises. All right, everybody, until next time, Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Follow me on Instagram. I love to hear from you guys there. Um, It's Clumsy Theosis. You can message me, comment, keep up with what I'm doing, how I'm doing um, with the podcast and all of that jazz. Also, bringing this back to the topic of Mary and what people have to believe with regard to Mary according to our dogmas and doctrines of the faith. I'm going to be posting that information on my Instagram site this week. Um, So follow me at Clumsy Theosis on Instagram if you want to get that information. If not, you can Google it. I mean, everything's on the internet. All right, everybody. Have a great week. Peace out. Thank you for tuning in this week to Clumsy Theosis. Each week, we explore a topic within the Catholic faith to aid listeners like yourself, as well as yours truly, in the advancement and deepening of the spiritual life and the personal ownership of our relationship with the big guy upstairs and his church. As cliche as it sounds, the world needs you. Become who you were created to be with Clumsy Theosis, the place to transform the world by transforming yourself.